All right, very good. So let's see how far we can get into this. Uh, it's, it is a lengthy text, and I like to get one verse usually. Uh, we're going to handle a few verses. Praying about handling Romans uh, starting next April and uh, kind of go slowly verse by verse through it. So this is not getting, uh, getting us past that. We'll probably handle it more slowly and carefully at that time. Uh, but right now, let's jump into the text and just kind of survey the principles here. And I want to do this in, in uh, the, the lens or with the lens of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Uh, we have all have Thanksgiving plans coming up. Uh, perhaps it's just a turkey. I hope it includes thanking a person. That is God. That is the purpose of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is not just uttering thanks to, to nothing. It's actually giving to someone words of praise and thanks. And I would encourage our church to do that. <coughs> Excuse me. I will be out of town Thursday of Thanksgiving. We're going to be spending that with Hannah. Uh, but the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we'll, we'll have a Right, we'll have a meal and we'll kind of uh, bring all of our leftovers and, uh, and we'll enjoy that. And, and I want us to have a service of Thanksgiving, maybe that would even spill over to the following Sunday as we consider things that we should be thankful for. Uh, I, I would liken this to an Ebenezer, okay? Oh, yes, I, I have a rock and I'm, I'm afraid if I set it down here, it's going to make the pulpit crash. Uh, so I'm going to set this over here. Uh, this is actually a decent rock. This is one of my favorite rocks. Um, how many of you have a favorite rock? <laughs> Not many. But I want us as a church to consider uh, Ebenezer's. Ebenezer's. Um, and, and three of them in our church history recently as three primary rocks, stones of witness in which to praise God. A moment about that in just a second. But let's just look at a few of these, okay? I want to look at a few of these, and, and please don't bulk, bulk against these, okay? We're, we're going to talk about unity and some of these issues in just a moment. Um, but, but even just the idea of post-COVID church attendance, um, I, I think we need to publicly thank God for that. Uh, just the way the Lord has brought us over the last 18 months. Um, and uh, I just looked... I think this morning or maybe yesterday, uh, New York City's cases are down to like a thousand, less than a thousand over the last seven days. Okay, if you percentage that, it's like less than zero percent. It's like zero. We just need to thank God for that. Like we've been praying about that, right? My my uh, kids, the little guy at least, still every time we thank the Lord for the food, that's his first prayer request. Um, and, and it's like the Lord is answering this prayer. We need to thank God for this. Um, these, these numbers moving down, not just here, but nationwide. Uh, I don't know why we only talk about the numbers when they're bad, but we need to thank God for this. Uh, just popped up on YouTube um, as I was looking at the church uh, YouTube page. Our service from, was it two Aprils ago? I can't remember what, but, but when we couldn't meet. It was meeting in our living room, and it was really rough. Right? We need to thank God publicly for this. Um, I think we prayed, we, we seriously prayed about an effective vaccine. And we, we thank God for 
the, the results of what's going on with our, our vaccine. I think there's, this is a good article on this if, um, if you're looking for one by Al Mohler. Just considering uh, now 80% of Queens is, uh, is vaccinated and that allows for fewer stipulations for our public meetings. Even just now, like look at how many people we have here today. Uh, this is, as we do the numbers, it's probably more uh, than pre-COVID between our two services. Uh, we thank God for this. Uh, now, now, looking back on it, it's not that it's been easy. Even today, you may be going through difficulties. Um, but we thank God for, in one sense, none of our church members uh, have, have passed away from this. I have a friend in the Bronx who pastors a church, and they're still not meeting because a big chunk of his church died, an elderly church. Um, right? We, we have other countries that, that even though the numbers are so low, they're not letting people meet still. And we should thank God for this as a church. Um, all over New York, other churches are still not meeting um, but we can continue to carry out the, the command, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. We thank God for that. And I just want to think, perhaps, of setting aside a public Ebenezer for that. This is another big one over this last year that maybe we've forgotten about. Uh, we, we at the, was it this last year at this time? We were praying and, and getting rid of all the outside support help for our church. Do you remember that? And folks are like, well, I don't know if it's time. We're like, what, 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 you know, can we do this? Look at our giving. It is over budget. We need to thank God for that. This is another huge thanksgiving that our church should be giving to God. Uh, setting aside time to thank God for another huge Ebenezer um, that, that our giving has continued. And of course, this is... This is during a very difficult financial time with people moving and with, uh, with people losing their jobs, right? And yet our church uh, has been, been stable with that. And so we need to thank God for that. Uh, and then the third one here I'm going to get to in just a second. But, but does anyone know what I mean by saying setting up an Ebenezer? All right, Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer is the opposite of Scrooge. All right, and so you can think of it that way. Um, uh, this is from this verse, uh, from 1 Samuel 7, 12. Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and named it Ebenezer, saying, this far the Lord has helped us. And he's like, there are times in your faith community where you need to set up big memorials to point to God and saying, listen, remember what God did for us. Because we may forget. We may forget those difficulties. As soon as you get past them, it's like all of a sudden we start getting selfish and, and unthankful all over. We need to remember all that God has done. And yes, there are still dark times. And in fact, I'm going to correct your thinking. No doubt many of you have been thinking against the things I've been saying in one way or another. And we're going to talk about differences and disagreements we may have. But... You may be thinking, yeah, Tim, but it's, you know, the spike's going to come. It's November, December. It's going to get worse. What I'm going to say is, let's not go there, all right? 
the, the idea of the glass half full, glass em half empty. Let's, let's just for a little bit not go there with our minds, but only go to the point where God has been so gracious and merciful to us. Thank you, God. Not Tim, well, yeah, yeah, but what about this? What about that? What about this? No. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Anything other than just eternal separation from you is mercy. And so I'd like us to picture it this way. This is where we are as a people, as a church. And so we need to set up in our mind and our hearts. I don't, I'm going to meet with the deacons this week and we can think through, and the pastors think through how to do this uh, without having our own property. I have a few ideas. But just at least opportunity for each person to share public testimony to the ways that even in this difficulty, like Brother Kim was just sharing, this is how God has built me. This is how God has used this to encourage me in my faith. Now, the third one is where we get to Romans 14. The, these are supernatural. That second one is supernatural because nobody likes to give, especially not during difficult times. And we don't talk about that. We don't. And yet God continually, continually uh, moves us to give. This third one, though, I think is even more supernatural. And when people talk about God doing things supernaturally, sometimes we overlook these amazing things. And this is the third one that I would say, um, disagreement without disunity. That our church has enjoyed uh, a, an amazing amount of disagreement without disunity. And we just need to recognize that that is supernatural. And if I could commend our church for this, I, I, I love this about our church. Some of it's just living in a city, and, and we just are used to, to getting along with people that, that we're different with. We're just kind of maybe programmed this way. Um, but I just want to tease this out and ask the Lord to help us continue in this light um, and, and ask for principles uh, but also acknowledge that this has been a work of God's Spirit, that we are able to disagree with one another without disunity. Does that sound odd? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it does to you. And so if you look on your notes, I just want to tease this out just a little bit and then let Romans 14 answer our questions about how to do this in a church, in your family, maybe even at your job. You can take these principles and really put them to work because the truth is you're not going to agree with everyone. In fact, the truth is you're not going to agree with anyone. Do you realize that? There is no one on this earth that you will agree with 100%. You are not compatible, 100% compatible. In fact, I could probably argue that you're probably not compatible with yourself because you do things, you're like, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I do not agree with myself there. Oh, wretched man that I am. Right? And so, just a few thoughts about this. Um, one of the first churches, actually just read about this recently, um, had this problem. There were, there were two main factions in this church, and maybe you've read about it too. Um, it's a well-known church. But, but there's, this, there's this faction, that, like very two very clear parties in this church because of the way one group came in that had a, a very clear background, the way they did things, the way they were raised, and even the way they ate. It was just, it was just this way, and, and then this other group in the church weren't raised that way. They did not uh, eat that way. And, and so as these churches kind of 
these, these people groups started to, to fellowship together and go to fellowship meals, it became difficult. And this would be our first church in, in Acts. You find right off of that, just after Pentecost, they're having these troubles because there's the, the, the Hellenistic, meaning those who are, had a Greek culture, Jews, and they're trying to get along with the, the is, Israel Jews, those who are, who are holding up to all the kosher laws. And they're trying to get along, and, and, and they have to hire deacons to provide unity for that early body. All the way from that first church, you have disagreements in churches. You have disagreements in families. You have disagreements at work. And so the question is, how do we get through this on a human level? Well, I like to look at it this way. There will always be disagreements in the church. Always. But there should never be disunity in the church. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. All right, and so this is a beautiful thing that, that the Lord says, listen, this is something you need to preserve that the Spirit provides, but we just have to acknowledge that we're going to disagree with each other. How many of you like the Yankees? Nobody. Okay, we got maybe two or three. How many of you like the Mets? All right, we got more Mets fans here in Queens. But we're going to disagree on that. We are going to disagree on that. And we are going to disagree on some other very serious things. How do we deal with that? Well, I would like to think about this in, in this way. There are, there are areas of personal conviction that, that kind of go... Three levels. The first levels are absolutes. In, in this level, we all agree as Christians. This is the unity that the Spirit provides. And you, you read that there are certain truths that all Christians must embrace or they're, they're not Christian. There are certain truths that, that, that are just laid out by God, gospel truths. And we would call these the essentials. They're absolutes in the Christian life. Secondly, there are convictions in the Christian life. These are non-essentials. And, and you can actually hold these convictions very strongly. Convictions are helpful. It is good to have convictions. And these convictions would come from serious principles of Scripture. Um, you have convictions for your family that I probably don't have for my family. I have convictions for my family that you probably don't have for your family. I have convictions for myself that, that others in my family don't have. Right? And so there are serious convictions that we need to hold carefully. Thirdly, there are preferences in the Christian life. And, and so we have essentials, non-essentials, and then, then you just kind of have preference about all things. And that's where Mets and Yankees are. You kind of illustrated this way. Right? You have this, this smaller group of the moral absolutes that all of us agree on as Christians. But then there's a broader circle of your personal convictions that you hold that are very helpful. And then you have personal preferences uh, that you have beyond that. The difficulty comes when we start mixing, treating personal conviction or personal preference as moral absolute. And, and you may say, this is true for all Christians of all ages. Okay, we'll point to it in the Bible. And they may give you five verses from which that is drawn. 
If you give five principles of Scripture from which that is drawn, that's probably a good principle for you to uphold in every era of Christianity. But, but for it to be an absolute, you've got to point to it right there and say, this is for Tim and this is for Timothy in the early church. All right, we need to just move on. But, but the, the, there is a, because of this, there is always a balance where we are trying to maintain unity on the absolutes and, and purity. You're, you're going to maintain unity in these preferences, but purity in the absolutes. Those things we have to uphold as a church, or we're not a church. All right, does that make sense? Okay, so Romans 14 helps us with this. It walks us through these differences of opinion, but I just felt like it was good to talk about it because our church is not fighting about these things, but I just feel like we need to acknowledge you are going to disagree. And that's okay. Let it out, right? It's okay to disagree with each other. In fact, you should be able to talk graciously about areas of conviction that you feel very strongly about. And that's what was happening in Jerusalem, and that's what's happening in Rome, and that's what's happening today in Queens. Okay, so let's jump into the text here. There's two primary commands. We're going to really give time to the first four verses and then, then maybe more quickly walk through the others. But even from the first four verses, we find the two big takeaways from Romans 14. First command, verses 1 through 12, welcome others with different opinions. Welcome or receive others with different opinions. The summary of the command, verses 1 through 3, uh, well, what's the, what's the verb? Right, we're just going to summarize it, and we find the verb here in verse 1. The verb is to what? Now, accept. Accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. All right, okay. Accept this person who is weak in faith. You're going to disagree in the application of faith to this issue, and yet I want you to accept that person. Not so that you can judge them and their opinion on the issue, though. I want you to accept them. I want you to welcome them. I want you to bring them in. I want you to receive them. It's fascinating. The word is even used to talk about eating. I, I want, not the, the, the idea, you'll see. He, it's, it's almost like a, a play on words here. Because he's going to talk about food and eating. I want you to receive this food. I want you to receive them. Well, what's the situation? Look at the situation here. One person has faith that he may eat all things. He who is weak eats vegetables only. I could get to some cracks there on, on this, but I'm not going to because I'm not going to treat with disdain. Uh, in fact, I have backed off on my references to eating steak because I don't want to offend folks. Um, but this is what was going on there. It wasn't just that someone was vegan. The, the, the situation was a little more complex. Uh, maybe I'll just really quickly describe what was going on here. Now, there are some differences of opinion on exactly what was going on in Rome, but most commentaries agree that what was happening is the same thing in Jerusalem. You had this large Jewish church. Everybody was Jewish at the beginning. And then a lot of Gentiles began to come to Christ as Messiah as well. And so there's total different way that these are raised. And, and so a lot of these Jewish folks still kept kosher. I mean, strict kosher. 
And in Rome that day, you, it wasn't like you could just go to the kosher market. Like, it was very difficult to find kosher meat. And so they would just say, listen, a lot of very strict folks, they just wouldn't eat meat. And so it's a, a passing over of these laws and even these celebrations of days in the church where now the Roman church, most of it's Gentile. And, and, and the Gentiles are like, listen, we all foods are, we're under grace. We're not under law. You can eat anything. Listen, have you had a steak? And so they're just enjoying this meat and then they have fellowship meals together. And you can imagine the type of strife. This isn't just like us, like, like thinking, okay, I'm going through this fat, I'm going to do a juice cleanse. This is the way I was raised from a youth. And just thinking, this is, this is my diet, this is how I've lived my life, and you're going to come in here and tell me what to do with my food? Or, on the other hand, someone who would be, in this case, strong in faith, they're like, I know God has cleansed these foods. And so they're like, why are you telling me I can't eat this? Right? Get over it. Like, why are you judging me for eating this? And that's what was going on. The situation here is you had one person who had faith. They applied the faith this far that they could eat all things. Another person did not apply the faith that far to where they could not eat all things. So, uh, how did I get the pizza? Okay, this, just a quick illustration, and I'm trying to do this because I don't think this will offend anybody. Uh, and, and I could just really give about a thousand examples that would offend different folks in our church. So I'm trying to do that. But this is something I learned as a child. My Sunday school teacher thought it was wrong to go to Pizza Hut. And, and I loved Pizza Hut. But, but he said they, sold, they sell alcohol at Pizza Hut, so you should not go there, Tim. As a young man, you should not go to Pizza Hut. If you ever had a Supreme Pizza, right? Like, this was hard for me. Uh, and, and actually, Sarah and I's first date was at Pizza Hut, one of our first dates, right? Right, so, so like, there's no way she's going to say no to me now. Right, I'm high on the hog Pizza Hut. Right, this is a uh, poor thing, right? She's, <laughs> this is the, the bar has been set till now. Um, but uh, Milton would not do Pizza Hut. So, let's apply this. The application of the command is don't condemn and don't disdain. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt, look down on the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. Right? So, so you come into this place and you have differences, strong convictions about opinion. And, and there, there's going to be on one side a temptation to look down on that person who has enough faith to do that activity. And it's not an absolute. It's a preference. But because they do that, you're going to look down you, my brother, you just are not applying, and then you just look down on them. You just do not know, do you? And then another person sees them doing this, and they're like, you are not right with God. How could you do this? How could you go to Pizza Hut? And right there, young man, is someone who is, who is drunk, and here you are calling yourself a Christian. And they're judging that person. They're judging do right, you see the two principles there that he's telling? Don't disdain, don't look down on, and don't judge. And both of those are temptations when we talk about personal convictions. As you hold your personal convictions, and they're different with other people here, everyone here is going to have different personal convictions. And it's going to be temptation for you. And this is the great point. This is the really interesting. What is the absolute of Romans 14? 
What is the moral absolute? It is not anything about pizza, anything about food. Because he's going to talk about that later. The moral absolute is don't look down on. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Those are the moral absolutes. Personal preferences, he's going to say we disagree about. All right, does that make sense? I love this, the reason. Why? The reason to obey the command is because God has welcomed them. You accept them, and so it may not be clear here, but he's, he's, his verses 1 and 3 are kind of a bookmark. You know, like it's the same word. Accept the one. In fact, if, you're, if you draw or you make notes in your Bible, I would, I would circle both these words and put a, draw, a line between the two. You accept the one who is weak in faith because God has accepted him. If it's something that God does, it's godly. Okay? So welcome him because God has. But Paul's going to move on with that, and he's going to help us, giving us reasoning behind this command. He's going to tell us why we should do this. And so we move on to the two reasons that are very helpful for us. All right, and I need to move quickly here. Uh, Reasoning behind the commandment number one. This is why, because we all belong to God. Reasoning number one, we all belong to God, verses four through nine. The Lord is the only one who is master. Who are you to judge the servant of another? We all have one master, and that is the Lord. We're all servants under the Lord. So why are you judging another person's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and your master will make him stand. If they believe that they can eat meat, if they believe that they cannot eat meat, it is between them and their master doesn't mean we can't discuss it. doesn't mean that we can't talk about our personal convictions and try to help someone, right? Because it may be that they need to change their personal conviction. But, but we just bring that before the Lord. We need to recognize that it is our, our decisions must only please the Lord. We're not living to please my brother and sister in that sense. I have, I stand or fall to the Lord. He is the one who I live for. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. Look at that. He who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. To this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of you, both the living and the dead. He's Lord of us. We we have one Lord that we answer to. And, And so what you eat and drink, you do to the Lord. Um and what's really fascinating about what it is teaching us is that in your conviction, You may be able to thank God. You may be able to praise God for something that it would be a sin for me to do. That's what that's teaching. Because it's your conscience before the Lord. Not on these absolutes, but on these personal preferences, there may be something that you as a Christian are able to do and say, thank you God for this. I praise you that I could do this to your glory. It might be Pizza Hut. But someone else would actually be sinning if they go to Pizza Hut. It would have been a sin for Milton. 
You know why? Because his brother died as an alcoholic. Because he came to know Christ as an alcoholic. And had ruined his life at that point. And he knew his, his brother just took NyQuil. And it killed him. Because he had stopped for a little bit. So I, I do not look down on Milton. Because now I know his story. And it would be a sin for him. It would not be a sin for me. In fact, I enjoy that. Please don't be offended, Milton. But, but for him, that's a sin. He to- toes the line there because of his, his history and his story. And he's like, I don't want any part of that anymore. And I understand that. I understand that about him. Him, be, Milton, before his master, he has made that decision. And before my master, I make that decision. It's the same master, different personal convictions, and, and the, the absolute is that I don't look down on him, and he doesn't judge me uh, for our applying of the principle. But what's amazing here is that I will thank God for that food. And Milton will thank God that he doesn't go and eat that food. And and we'll both be praising God for opposite applications of the principle. Isn't that fascinating? Opposite applications of the principle. This is what we have to be careful with one another. And he gets to that in a minute. But let's look at reason number two. We will all be judged by God. All right, so so let's just keep moving. We will all be judged by God. Uh, Reason number two, verses 10 to 12. But you, why do you judge your brother? Again, why do you regard with your brother with contempt? Why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. This is all you need to think about. This is the primary thing you need to think about this. You are going to be judged by Jesus for how you eat. How you drink, how do you live out your life, your entertainments, your thoughts, everything you will be judged by Jesus himself as God. You will stand before him. That is what makes us think through carefully about what we do and do not do. That word, give an account, I think gives a good picture here. It's the word lagos, but the the idea is we will all give uh, the, the account right? The, the account, meaning it, it's kind of like you're going to give the log of all that you've done. It's like receipts. Like you bring your receipts to your accountant. Okay, this is all I've done. These are all the receipts. This is all that I've spent. It's kind of like that in heaven. You're going to be giving a pile of receipts for all that you have done, all that you have not done, all that you have said, all that you have not said, all that you have thought, all that you have not thought. That's what changes our actions, we love Jesus and we realize I want to say well done good and faithful servant I don't want him to see all the wasted day Tim wasted day right wasted words not building up your brother or sister not being gracious toward them right how could you have spoken disdainfully about their opinion that's wasted and I'm going to give an account to, to the judge of all for that and so I need to be fully convinced in my own mind, knowing that the record is going to be given account. One day, I'm going to give an account, and I need to be careful how I treat my brother and sister, is what Paul is saying. 
So two big takeaways from that first command. I need to be careful not to look down on or uh, view with contempt on someone who has different convictions than I do, and then also I'm not to judge them. You got that? I think we have, we have time for the second big command, and we're going to summarize this, but this is very important because it goes beyond that. Paul's big point here, yes, don't do that, but there is another problem that comes into play here. What if I start living with Milton in such a way that I try to get him to eat Pizza Hut with me? That's the next thing he goes to. Do not cause a brother to stumble. The way you live, be careful not to cause your brother or sister to stumble. Here's the principle, verse 13. Don't trip up a brother. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this. Okay, so it's almost like they were judging one another in Rome. And so he's like, don't, let's stop doing that and let's determine this. Do not put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. Interesting picture. The idea is you may encourage someone past their conscience to such a way that it's like putting a stone of stumbling in front of them. And you don't care about their opinion. You just wanted to move past it. Come on, every time we have this fellowship meal, you're not letting me do this. Get over it already. But in their mind, they can't do it. So if you push them to offend their conscience, you're actually causing them to sin. You're encouraging them to sin. So we need to be careful how we hold our personal convictions. This is the big sin in this point. That you can push your convictions. And it's good to have convictions. But you can push your convictions on someone to such an extent. Or your lack of conviction on someone to such an extent. That you may cause them to sin. We need to be really careful. I'm not saying we can't talk about them. It's good to talk about them. It's good to understand, well, why do you hold this? Why do you do this? Why do you not do this? And then you can come to some, some agreements. Right? I think our, our, our culture has brought us through so many of these things. The last, and that's why I say the last 18 months, one of the most supernatural things is that our church has not fought over these things that we could have easily done. And this is, to be honest, more churches, I don't know the numbers, but I bet more churches have gone under because, and pastors have quit more because of this than COVID itself. It's the fighting over all the issues, right? And, and, the, and the mandates and the stipulations and, and, the, and the disagreements. It's like, it's like, let's just hold your personal conviction very strongly and let's talk about them. But let's be careful not to cause someone to stumble into sin by how we hold our convictions, okay? And, and, and I could, I'm not even getting into politics. But there are, so, <laughs> there are so many things that I hold very, is my conviction. And someone else in the church holds a different political conviction. And we need to be careful to be gracious with that person. And say, you know what, this is not something that will, the way our news portrays it, you got one side is Hitler or the other side is Hitler. There's no middle ground. And this is wrong. But this is the way the last 18 months have been. I'm just so great, so thankful for a church that we're able to, to, to say, well, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I'm going to agree to disagree on that. And you may even be able to say, these are my three reasons. But let's just go different ways on that and love each other. Because you know what's important? 
The gospel, Jesus Christ, God, so much more than all these things. And, and some of these things are, are like maybe huge to you. But, but eternity, spiritual things are so much greater than all these. So it gets beyond just Pizza Hut. And, and, and we could get into all types of things. Now, I do think this. Paul does talk about his position. Look at Paul's position. Verses 14 to 18. He is convinced. Right? So it's okay to talk about these disagreements. I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean of itself. To him who thinks it's unclean, it is unclean. For because of food your brother is hurt, you no longer walk according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Right? And so he's saying, listen, you, I, I agree with you. You can eat that. But you're, you're holding your opinion in such a way that you're being offensive and unkind to that person who has a different opinion. And that is not love. Um, that is earthly wisdom. In fact, this is an amazing passage. I think we should all have this memorized and just live by this rule of love. Verse 13 says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his, his deeds and gentleness of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. But wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering. Without hypocrisy, you hold these things. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We can hold our convictions in such a way that it actually makes peace. It brings peace uh, by graciously holding them to the glory of God. And so he points to the better way. Don't pursue your position. Pursue Christian unity. Verse 19 uh, So then pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. <laughs> and you just see, yeah, why am I positioned on this? Am I actually tearing down something that's spiritual and important? And so he says, yeah, all things are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. He stumbles over it. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which it causes your brother to stumble. Now, that doesn't mean I stop going to Pizza Hut. But that means I stop telling Milton, Mil, let's, go, let's go for pizza. For him, I'm not going to do that. But I'll do that for my wife. When Milton's not around, I think you understand that, right? The faith which you have has is your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. So, so hold those convictions. Hold what you believe God wants you to do in that case. Don't give it up. Just hold it graciously with your brothers and sisters who disagree. All right? Because if, if it's not from faith, then it is sin for you. All right? 
So by God's grace, let's pursue peace with one another. We're out of time. So we're going to just finish there. But let's ask the Lord for grace in this way. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just ask the Lord to apply this to your heart in just a few moments of quiet. I'll be staying in the back lobby and happy to pray with you if you would like to talk about this a little further. But perhaps the Lord has brought something to your mind that you would say, you know what, I am disdaining someone. I'm looking down on them because they have a different personal conviction than me. And I need to get that right. I need to ask God for forgiveness. That's the absolute. Or perhaps you're judging someone because of a, a part of a, uh, that is not an absolute, but a personal conviction. You would say, I need, a, I need to repent of that. And it may have gotten to the point to where you've actually caused someone to stumble. If that's happened, you need to go to that person. You need to apologize and ask forgiveness. Well, also, let's come to the Lord, and as our judged, if, if you do not know the Lord as your Savior, you would not want to stand before him as judge. And he offers forgiveness of all sins, all the receipts to be canceled, paid for, paid in full. You would just need to ask him for that. And I would encourage you to turn from sin and trust in him as Savior. If you'd like to talk with me about that, I'd be standing in the back lobby. But let's, Pastor Andrew will close us in a, in a moment. Let's all do business with the Lord and ask for grace to carry out these commands to the glory of God.